the sound of praise for your Sunday morning. The only one who could ever teach me. Introducing Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center. Was the son of a preacher man. And Rabbi Joseph Potasnik of Religion on the Line. The only one who could ever teach me. Now, on Talk Radio 77 WABC, here's the Reb and the Rabbi, where faith matters. Good morning, I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. And Rabbi, we are off, not to the races, but to new administrations. Governor, mayor, um, we've got council, new council people, we've got new district attorneys. Uh, where do we begin with all this? Well, firstly, uh, we congratulate, uh, obviously, those who are victorious. Uh, mm-hmm. But yep. we also hold them responsible uh, for promises made and what, what promises kept or... Uh, we need to be very clear uh, that there's a standard that needs to be maintained. And uh, I was very heartened to hear uh, Mayor Adams uh, talk mm-hmm. about, you know, justice, talk about uh, police presence, uh, talk about, you know, uh, crime has to be brought down. If we if we want this city to succeed, it's got to be safe. We can't allow what's going on. And that's as heartened as I was by that. I was disheartened by what I heard the Manhattan DA say in terms of, you know, uh, how he's going to prosecute, or what he's going to prosecute, and what he's not going to prosecute. I thought a DA was a law enforcement officer. I thought he had to fulfill. <laughs> the, I don't think he was, he was you're supposed to write about the Alvin Bragg. Yeah, I don't think yeah, he's supposed yeah, to write yeah. the penal code. He's supposed to enforce the penal code. Um, and all of a sudden, he's picking and choosing things he'll do, and this won't be prosecuted. Shoplifting won't be treated uh, in a very serious way, and all the other, some of the other things. You, if you're well, wrong, what, well, what's behind it? What what's he saying is behind it? What do you understand? You know. I, I've seen this movement by some, uh, you know, we talk about restorative justice, and that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we don't believe in, in excessive punishment, but we do believe in punishment. And I think this is a way of saying, well, we made mistakes in the past, and now this is how we, we uh, repent. Um, but I, there, there's more concern, I find, with the perpetrator than there is for the victim. You know, I, I was telling a group the other day, for every perpetrator, there's a victim. Don't lose sight of that victim. That person is paying a severe price. That life has been scarred. Um, so I understand we and, want. And don't, yeah, we want the perpetrator uh, not to do it again. But I right. don't. I don't understand. And in, in light of what we're seeing in other parts of the country, with the rising crime there, rising crime here, why are we? Why are we bringing down the standard? I, I think that we've been too reactionary. Because remember, restorative justice was. Uh, you know, the way. And then because of the high crime rates, we reacted with punitive justice. And that went on for some two decades. I remember back in the 80s and then in the 90s, remember 94, the, the, uh, the, the crime bill, uh, you know, 30, what, $30 billion or $34 billion crime bill and ended up by 2000 with a large number of incarcerated individuals and a high percentage of them, of course, persons of color uh, and, and men of color. You know, so I think we tend to live in a tension between the two, restorative and punitive justice, and, and not find the right balance. Yeah. Instead, we react with extremes. And, and, and look, and we're living in a world of extremes, right? Yeah, no, but it's a bad place. And look, when I hear people saying, I'm not going on the train, uh, or and I look at the numbers in this exodus, uh, you know, in the, the original exodus from Egypt, we had 600,000. Well, we've had 300,000 who've left the state of New York. You know, mm. they didn't go to Egypt yeah. uh, in many cases, but, you know, <laughs> but they're, they're leaving the state. And you say, well, how do you how do you go forward? How do you build 
you know, uh, a better place when people are leaving it, when the tax base is shrinking? Uh, what are we doing? And again, why, why are we just rushing forward with these proposed solutions without a serious discussion? Let's sit down. Let's bring some of the key thinkers together and have this discussion. And by the way, uh, you know, we met Alvin Bragg. He didn't say these things when he ran for office. He, he didn't speak uh-oh. this way. Uh oh. Uh oh. You know? Well, you know, look, on the campaign trail, there's a lot that's said. And then when you get into office, you begin to realize yeah. what you can and cannot do. And maybe you try to do something new, something different. Well, Let's see what he, what he does with it. You well, know, uh, it's still early. And I will tell you, our elected officials have their hands full. And whatever you and I, of course, can do to, to support yeah. them, to be part of the, you know, anchor of their souls, that moral standard by which they, you know, consider their judgments and their decisions. I think uh, it, it's important. But, but that's, that's democracy, well, isn't it? Well, but if, if it's really full democracy, I would say the following. If you're going to come forward with one of these so-called innovative uh, initiatives, how about sitting down with communities in distress? How about sitting down with communities who are hemorrhaging uh, because of what's going on uh, with crime, or people who are afraid to leave their homes in the evening uh, because they are the fear of being uh, victimized? Talk to them. And then, you know, there should be some consultation. There should be some communication here, uh, not just coming forward and saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm not going to do. Because uh, I assure you from people that I know uh, living in different communities, uh, their fear has been increased, not decreased. They don't feel better. You know, they feel hard by what the mayor said, new mayor. Um, mm-hmm. But when they heard this statement, they said, wait a minute, where does this take us? Um, and again, it's not a matter of being punitive. It's a matter of being fair. And to me, when you talk about restorative justice, it applies to a victim, too. I yeah, want that yeah, person restored. I want that person restored. Yeah, uh, but, but uh, Rabbi, you're pointing to the very tension that goes on in these communities. Look, I grew up in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Bushwick, uh, uh, Brownsville, East New York, you know, uh, and, and I will tell you, even to this day, because, you know, our church is right there in East New York, yep. there is a tension mm-hmm within the community, they want greater police presence. They want crime to be lowered. But at the same time, they're concerned about how policing Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. applied, especially to young black and brown men, you know, because one, one thing can ruin the career, the future of an individual by giving them a record for something that just doesn't make sense that they should have to suffer the rest of their lives for and cannot function fully in the social and political life of American society. So how do you balance that out? That's a tension. I think one of the accomplishments, or at least the beginning of an accomplishment for uh, former police commissioner Dermot Shea was meeting with communities and hearing, you know, uh, their concerns and saying, now, you know, let me share with you our concerns. How do we bring the two sides together? And, you know, you've seen some strides uh, you've seen progress being made in terms of community relationships done in consultation with one another, um, but not where you completely turn a blind eye to people committing crimes and say, well, I'm not going to prosecute that. That's not that, that's not worth my time. Really? Um, that that wasn't well, so, you know, years ago when I remember New York was in the 70s. Uh, it was pretty dangerous times here in New York when we when we didn't insist on, you know, uh, quality of life when we said, ah, oh, we'll go easy 
Uh, going easy uh, means uh, paying a very severe price very often. Yeah, and that's a tough thing. You talk about law and order versus sense of social yeah. sensitivity to what's influencing and shaping and informing, you know, some of the dispositions of individuals who resort to crime. You know, that's a larger discussion. But I, I think what you said is important. Being going to the community and talking with mm -hmm. them. You know, the cardinal calls me a Catholic, uh, a closet Catholic. Mm -hmm. But in Catholic social teaching, there's something called subsidiarity, and subsidiarity simply means that those who are closest to the problem are best able to diagnose the problem and offer solutions. So when those who are in power, our elected officials, etc., meet with those individuals on the ground, then you have a meeting of the minds to come up with a solution that's going to be balanced. You know, yeah. if I could take some that's credit, what we need to see. in our tradition, we have a statement which says before, speaking to the teachers, the leaders, the rabbis, before you uh, create a new law, go out and see what the community is doing. See how they're going to live with this. Uh, you can't do this, you know, in a vacuum. Uh, and, right. and again, I think that's why we need to hold their feet to the fire and say, don't, you can't just come up with these directives, with these, you know, proclamations. The community wants to be heard. They have a voice. Don't just listen to their voice when you're running. Listen to their voice after you win the election. We have somebody coming on today that uh, uh, has a voice and a very significant voice in New York, and that's David Ushery, uh, News 4. You know, NBC Ford, New York, was really a, a highly, highly uh, regarded, respected figure, and rightfully so. Uh, so I look forward to that discussion with you uh, and uh, David Ushery coming up. Yeah, we'll be back with more right here on 77 WABC, The Rev and The Rabbi. Where faith matters, The Rev and The Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Tassner. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, you and I have favorite personalities that we've come to know and admire over the years. And uh, one of those people is going to be our guest today. And I'm referring to none other than the uh, accomplished and respected David Ushery, who's uh, the anchor for NBC4 New York at 4 p.m., 11 p.m. Uh, he's become a household uh, name in New York. His face is seen in the back of taxi cabs, post offices, wherever you go, you see a picture you know, of David Ushery. So it's a great honor. But let me introduce him the way often he's introduced. Chuck is off tonight, and now we have David Ushery. <laughs> you would go there, Rabbi. You would. I'm sorry, David. Like I said off the air, I apologize for this guy. I know. Listen, yeah. I just want to thank Cardinal Dolan for that great introduction and uh, having me on the show. Yeah. That's it. No more tickets for you, Midnight Mass. That's exactly. it. That's it. You're, 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 you're banned. Yeah. Uh, David, thanks so much. And You know, it's hard to describe in words the kind of year or years that we've endured with this COVID yeah. crisis and all of the other things. But one of the things that seems to be recurrent is a loss of, loss of trust. I was looking at your background, I think, years ago when you were – a young kid, you interviewed Walter Winchell, was it? Or, no, no, Walter Cronkite. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting you bring that up, Rabbi, real quickly, because today, uh, January 7th, is the anniversary of when I first appeared on local television regularly. It was the affiliate in Hartford, and they had a children's television program called Kids World. And I was on that for six years, kind of grew up with that. And about six months into that, I did come down to New York and spent what I thought was a significant amount of time at CBS News and had a sit-down interview with, with Walter Cronkite. I don't talk about my child life as much, but yeah. January 7th, 1979 is, is when the first episode went on. So it's kind of 
it was in the back of my mind, and that's where you started the interview. But yes, indeed, uh, I did that forty yeah. years ago. Yeah, but I mentioned Winchell and Cronkite, and yeah. you know, there there was a trust. There, there is now a loss of trust in individuals and yeah. in institutions. People don't believe, you know, elections uh, uh, are are legitimate in some cases. They don't yeah. believe science in some cases. What do you see happening here? Why, why this this drastic change from what you encountered years ago? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's twofold. I think we all can agree that um, the last few years in the United States have been particularly divisive. And, you know, without getting partisan about it, although it's sometimes it's hard to avoid the partisan reason for it, uh, we are now at a point where I've always said this when I teach a journalism class or speak or sit in on a class. I try to tell you, I'm a person, this is where you start. Before you do anything, you start by listening. You have to listen. And sometimes, you know, we'll go into a story. You have your own narrative in mind. You have your own idea how this is going to play out. But you'll miss something if you don't just listen to the person you're interviewing. You know, not just stand there, but listening and hearing as a difference. And we've lost that ability to listen um, and patience to at least understand where someone else is coming from. I think the evolution of technology over the last 10 years, we can agree, was, was, was fairly rapid. Um, and so people had a means to communicate and disseminate messages on their own as well as follow it. Like it or not, in the days of Cronkite that you mentioned and the subsequent networks, there was this sense of people taking in all this information and kind of parsing it and vetting it and then delivering it to an audience, 6, 6.30, expanded those newscasts. But over time, those entities, CBS, NBC, ABC, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, or even other papers – you know, that, that maybe we're not as familiar with magazines did have a process to kind of sort through fact from opinion. All of that has become merged and mushed. And so what we've seen is an undermining of those pillars of our democracy, those pillars of, of our society, not just the media, but the Supreme Court, uh, Congress. Uh, there's a lack of trust across the board. And I can tell you, that we've talked about, you've heard about the great resignation where many people are leaving the workforce. In, in local TV newscasts, I have been reading subsequent articles after articles of young people leaving the business. And one of the things they cite is just being weary from the onslaught of cynicism uh, and abuse that they take as reporters, which to me, it's kind of heartbreaking. I used to be able to roll up on a protest scene when I was younger. And whatever the protesters were angry about on either side, uh, they had a sense that, well, the media's here. This is going to try to get our story out. Now, pro uh, media reporters can roll up on the scene and they're the original target or become the original target for the harassment. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned that, David. Uh, the reports are that some four million Americans have resigned their jobs and yeah. seeking employment in in other uh, industries, uh, seeking other career paths that they never imagined they would seek. And it's emphasized in the food services industry and some of the retail. But I saw a little emphasis uh, on people exiting media. That's that's interesting. This is the first time I'm hearing about it. Um, is there a reason why, you know, there's not that much coverage of the exit from media business? 
Well, I think I think part of that is is the is self fulfilling. The disdain for the media is is means that people are not as concerned. I mean, over the last few years, we've lost so many local newspapers around the country. The ones that would get in there and cover the granular aspects of the school board meeting, of the budget meetings, uh, and that's important. Of the corruption, um, been gobbled up by big entities who strip mine it. Um, and just take whatever assets are left. And so we've lost that kind of coverage. There's an effort now to reinstill some funding by way of nonprofits for local news. But over the years, we lost that uh, at a critical time where we needed things scrutinized. I also think, again, in a world of corporate ownership, in a world where technology can bring efficiency on one hand, it means that I may need fewer people to do the job. And that's applies throughout corporate America, and that applies in the media as well. So I think young people are coming in. This is what I read. These are a number of articles here coming out recently. Uh, they're coming in. It's low pay. They're asked to do a lot more. And the job itself is so soul-crushing and wearying. Not only the actual content that you have to cover. I mean, think of our young people now covering two years of a pandemic and mm. four years of divisive partisanship. Uh, and rancor and outright hatred. And I think they're, they're saying, you know, they're, they're putting life first. We see, if, even if you look at Simone Biles and some of the athletes now saying, I've got to do some self-care. I've got to, to and they're just not seeing the payoff or, frankly, the, the virtue anymore. That's how cynical and that's how much it's permeated so much of what we've done as reporters. We're speaking with David Ushery. The NBC News for New York uh, anchor here and uh, someone who uh, I think still enjoys the trust of the overwhelming number uh, of viewers. And so, David, I'm concerned about a second form of resignation. And that is I see a number of people who are so tired of all of this. They're saying, I don't want to even get involved in the political arena or all these other places. and not going to affiliate with institutions. Uh, young people who say, why should I ever consider running for political office? Look at look at what's done to you when you run for political office. Uh, the apathy, the, the the numbers when you look at some of the some of the elections, the number of people who don't vote. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- there's another resignation going on out there, which uh, is extremely dangerous as well. I, I would agree. Uh, you, you, you couldn't have imagined that turnout would have been low in our last city mayoral election. Uh, but it was. Now, some of that has to do with how New York City runs, you know, off year, um, difficult during the work day, and efforts to try to address that always seem to get stymied in Albany. Um, but beyond that, uh, we did see some turnout in motivating elections, you know, um, obviously Georgia and Senate race. So it seemed to be episodic. But overall, Rabbi, I hear your point. Not only uh, are young people saying I, that's just not a way to go. If you've seen the number of uh, veterans who are not running again in Congress, just the they, just what they've been through, and they're going to not run again. And some may say, well, there needs to be a breath of fresh air. There needs to be new energy. But I, I, I do share your concern. I think it's been happening over time. But some of the best and brightest minds uh, are driven away from seeking political office. And I think part of that is really... I think, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, you, you Rabbi and, and Pastor Bernard, you, you, you're, well, you're much more versed in this just because of the way your communities intersect and the roles that you have in our society. But I think 
when someone runs for office, almost on day one, they have to start uh, making money for the campaign, for the next campaign. Mm-hmm. It's just so mm-hmm. driven by the campaign fundraising and how you get that, that they come in with a lot of ambitious, open-minded ideas. But over time, the system seems to wear them down. Now, we've recently had a, a new wave, as you, as you know, elected in our state assembly um, and in our city council races. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Uh, but, but I do fear this, this system that it has evolved now with the campaign financing and the need for campaign funds really overshadows and dissuades a lot of people from seeking office. You know, something just happened, David. Every now and then it happens on our show where Rabbi gives me a sermon and expands my mind. And no. uh, he did that because he, the great resignation is not just from from jobs, but uh, yeah. uh, from traditions, from politics, uh, from religion. You know, yeah. uh, this great resignation is covering so many traditions and customs of our society and values. Uh, I, I just want to go back to the to the media side of this, uh, David, because this something that I'm noticing and, you know, I have quite a few high-profile journalists who are part of my congregation. And one of the things that has come up is entertainment and the influence of the entertainment industry and the whole idea of entertainment. We spend billions and billions of dollars on entertainment. But what's happening is, and what we're seeing is, people want to be entertained. So they want yeah. their news as entertainment, their politics as entertainment, even in our even houses worship. They want their spirituality as entertainment. You know, we have to make sure we don't give a dry sermon. We've got to be animated. You know, we, 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 mm-hmm. we've got to be mm-hmm. engaging the, the demand for people to experience emotionally, you know, what they're hearing, what they're seeing uh, is taking over almost every aspect of our society. How do you respond to that? Uh, Pastor Bernard, you hit on it so well, and you hit on it with a word there that was—it wasn't buried in what you just said, but as you laid that out, you kind of weaved it in. But it's so critical, and that was the word influence. We are, in my opinion, now creating a generation where people want to be influencers. In fact, this was discussed. I was at a pre-pandemic, went to the convention of the National Association of Black Journalists, and this came up during a panel of you know be clear about what you want to be, you know, do you want to be a reporter or do you want to be an influencer? And there is a difference, you know, Hmm. because reporters may not make the fame or get the recognition that an influencer does because the parameters on an influencer and a reporter are different in my mind. And I think others would agree, but you know, to drive up likes or engagement on a social media page requires one set of skills, right? I'm not here to mm-hmm. pass judgment either one. But to be a reporter and to dig on facts and to provide a story with context on a regular basis requires another set of skills and perhaps more work. But you have an audience now that you're right. Um, because of the availability of channels and streams of information, how do I capture an audience? I've got to do something that engages them in a way that hasn't been done before. Um, And that can put a lot of tremendous pressure on the process and norms. It doesn't mean we shouldn't evolve. You know what I mean? If I'm, if I grew up in radio uh, and now television comes along, well, if many people forget, but in the, in that transition, some of the Edward R. Murrows of the world or the Eric Severides of the world were initially a little disdainful of this, 
this these pictures on a tube that are coming across. I mean, fantastic, <laughs> no, because he was around, you know, 110 years ago. But the yeah, thing I, is, I refer uh, to him. Chuck wasn't even born then. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, so, you know, there's always a little unnervousness, but this is different. And I've seen I've seen even some friends that I grew up with in the business now, and you know, uh, and I, I still respect them. I like them, but they have an they have a, a ability and a desire on the social media to push and promote themselves in a way that I, I just can't um, because for me, the story was never about me. The story is about whatever I'm covering, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I'm not, to, Pastor Bernard, I'm not here to say who's right or wrong because if you're seeking uh, recognition, if you're seeking fame, if you're seeking and you, and you say, well, by being an influencer, I can have more sway. Well, maybe that's correct. But I think that requires more of your opinion, more of yourself. And I think there's, it can be a double-edged sword. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think Chris, Chris Hedges um, uh, speaks to it in his book, Empire of Illusion. And he basically mm-hmm. says it represents a shift in values from, from the values like thrift, moderation, hard work, integrity, courage. Right. Uh, and now you've got to go to charm, fascination, and likability. Right. Right. And that's a lot of right. pressure, I think. It's not just delivering the news, but saying, hey, they better like you out there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's exactly right. Yeah. So, and so for me, it comes down to, and, and, and when Rabbi says it, it's going to sound trite, and I, and I don't mean it to, uh, and, and I'm, again, this is not me passing judgment, but if I can get someone to say a trusted voice in New York City, uh, especially in today's day and age when very few people trust, I, I just want to come on wherever you see me and that you think I'm shooting you as straight as I can. That's, that's yeah. and whether that, whether ultimate fame and riches comes from that or, or not, it's what I can do. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Pachasnik, the Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCRadio.com. You know, uh, David is one who knows you and Pastor knows you as well. Uh, I can tell people that the person you see on the screen, wherever you see you, uh, is the same person uh, when he's away from it. I, uh, you are... You are extremely sincere uh, and serious about your work, and I know that you make every effort uh, to present facts without uh, trying to put your finger on the scale. What I want to ask you about is, looking at this divisiveness, what bothers me is the following. The divisiveness is bad enough, but then you have extremes on both sides that, that seem to rule more or seem to be louder than others, and the middle is silent, or the middle, you know, does not speak up. They're almost intimidated by the extreme. They are intimidated by the extremes. Why? Why? If, if we'd say that there are only a handful on those you know, on the, on the extremes, why shouldn't the rest of the hand or the, the rest of the body do much more in being vocal to, you know, to uh, put them on the periphery or, or to denounce them? Why do they let them have the kind of influence, as we say, that they have? Yeah, you know, I, I, I hear you. And I think, I think part of that is when it, it's not so much the, the apathy that you mentioned earlier, but I do think people make a calculus like, man, do I have the will to get in this fight? Because these people on either side are really animated, animated and they have weaponized the ability to, I mean, you can say before you finish saying it, a tweet is out denouncing you without having got contact. And I think, I think moderate people are like, man, I'm, I'm not even going to engage because I don't even think people are going to hear me or allow me to finish my point 
or take the time to understand where I was coming from. And so I think it's had a chilling effect, which then again, just only amplifies the voices on the extreme because they're the only ones in the arena. And, and that's kind of, kind of, that's kind of how we've gotten where we are. You know what I mean? And I, and I think you're right. It's on both sides of the spectrum. It's, it's, it's become this kind of who we are bullying fight or who can be louder or to pounce. Look, I, on the one hand, I do think there were moments, especially in the absence of what I told you earlier, local newspapers, uh, news organizations um, under a financial strain because the eyeballs are just going everywhere. Uh, I do think that we did need consistent, strong voices out there, fact checkers who had a platform to point out inconsistencies, to point out extremism on what have you. But I think it's become blood sport uh, in many ways, and that's disheartening. And, you know, as I sit here with you, I, I don't know. You know, one of the things we heard during the pandemic, not just me and my colleagues, and, and not just my colleagues at NBC4, but, but all of us in local news in New York, in the early days of the pandemic, where New York, you know, we get that first case, then we're up in New Rochelle and Riverdale, and it spreads, and we're not sure what we're dealing with. Over time, over the pandemic, we heard people, A, they were forced to be home, and then we heard them say, you know, in all of this, I turned back to local news, because at least it wasn't a whole lot of politics and opinion. You had information that I needed. And it's true, and that's what we wanted to be. You know, I've said local news, for the most part, is like a utility, a con ed. Uh, you know, it's humming along in the background. You don't even always engage with it. But when something goes wrong, you need to know what's happening, and you check with con ed. Um, that may be oversimplifying it, but I think, I think the voices, um, and the platforms for those who have the loudest voices are overwhelming reason and rationality. And, and here we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it lends itself to the fantasy, the melodrama that people want from entertainment. Uh, you know, but the extremes tend to pump a lot of air into the, into the center. And I hope that the center gets so full of air that we, we burst with reaction, uh, with some type of response to what's going on, because I hate to see the normalization of the extremes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. when extremes become normal, that's a problem in our society, a serious problem that we all become responsible for. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And by the way, it, it also, to me, emphasizes the importance of faith leaders in being in that moral arena and having the courage and commitment to come forward and say, you're not going to get away with this. We're not going to remain silent and let you dominate, uh, you know, this issue with the falsehoods, uh, with the inaccurate narratives that you're trying. And people, you know, uh, it also <laughs> bothers me. People buy into it. If I were to uh, create a, an initiative of, of raising funds for clothing for goldfish, mm -hmm. uh, I, think I, could, I think I could get some supporters. I think that, you know, there's a market out there. There are people who are... I don't know whether the word is naive or they don't want to think it through or they're just so trusting. Whatever it is, they buy into this stuff. You know, you can talk about Jewish space lasers and get away with right. it. Right? right. And there are right. people who support it. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, you know, Rabbi, <laughs> go, go ahead, uh, David. I'm sorry. Well, no, I was, I was going to say it, it, it's true that the kinds of things that do get a life, uh, a lifeline uh, in, the, in the world that we've created because, you know, you can take your message directly to market and then you line up all the people who believe in your thing. I mean, if you look at uh, some of the this most recent polling on the January 6th riots and how partisan that is mm -hmm. on what people looked at the same video, but obviously there's different motivation in people, how they evaluate that. 
I mean, there's no question that police officers were assaulted on that. Um, but how people view that, as we've seen based on the polling, is, is very different. And the other thing I was going to say, and, I, and, and, that, and this is with all due respect to two of the, two of the best faith leaders I know who are on this, this, this program, who, who, who love this city as I do, um, you know, even with media journalists, even with, with the faith realm and the faith leadership on some of the overriding issues, I'm talking nationally here, there was some disappointment and lack of trust in them mm-hmm. as well. So that's where I talked about all the pillars of our society really taking on water over the last few years. Well, they earned it, David, if I may say it. <laughs> Some of my colleagues have right. earned that mistrust by the things that they've said, the things that they've subscribed to, you know. And, 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 and Pastor, I, Pastor, I would add in the things that they didn't say at critical moments, I do. I, uh, yeah, I think there was sure. a yearning for pastoral leadership right, right. and voices. And, 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 and just to your point earlier, some of those went silent at, at, a, at a critical moment. Yeah. They, yeah. It was silent yeah, when they yeah. should have shouted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're coming to almost to the end of the segment. I, I just want to be somewhat positive here. During yes, this, I would too. During, during the <laughs> well, the only negativity I wish both of you was on your COVID test. So let's be positive <laughs> on this <laughs> one. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. Amen to yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But there were some such heartwarming stories. You, we, we, I think we heightened our appreciation for healthcare professionals, and you were on the front line. Is there any story in particular that resonates with you that you want to tell people you should remember this? Uh, you know, when you wake up, that there's some great people out there ready to give it all uh, to save lives. Yeah, 100%. And, I, and I'm going with you, too. I mean, I, I, I know with you two, we wouldn't leave it in a cynical place. It's a sobering reality check. And a lot of times, even for those who cover it every day, especially now, you know, with this Omicron wave where we find we're saying some of the same things and some of the same concerns, but yet not as bad, right? Uh, we, we, we've got more volume because of the uh, uh, the uh, transmission rate of Omicron is so much greater. But medical professionals are saying that people are not as sick. We just need more beds because we just have more people. So uh, we are in a, in a similar place. We're not in the same place. But along the way, and we do try to tell these stories more often in our newscasts, Robert, there are results of some of the sad points in our life. In other words, we've seen in coverage post-George Floyd now greater efforts to show those people coming together, to highlight mm-hmm. changes that were made subsequent to that tragic story. Um, and daily, you know, police community relations. Yes, we still have issues to resort uh, to resolve. But we have in our newscast very often stories of police officers coming in and helping people in a way that did not require a heavy hand. But as one cop said, you know, you need a velvet touch sometimes. And we're seeing that in our communities more and more. You know, our firefighters, of course, uh, responding in ways. And, and, you know, there's more joy. We all share in the joy now, whether it's delivering babies or delivering toys to a family that was burned out. These are stories that maybe we thought we took for granted in the past. But there are stories in our newscasts and there are stories every day that show the texture of our society is still holding. And so the headlines can overwhelm us sometimes and they do and they can and they can make us feel really dark sometimes. But then what I do is let's get down in the base roots every day in our city of eight and a half million. There are in communities, whether it be on Staten Island or in Gray's End in Brooklyn, 
or in my Haven in Queens, there are people coming together and they are from diverse backgrounds helping each other mm -hmm. in ways that we may not see, but it is still happening. And then you two are serving those communities on the ground in many ways. And so that's why I like coming on the show with you, Rabbi and, and, and Pastor, because it kind of reminds us we have these conversations and, and these conversations, we're, the line will hold. The line will hold. The democracy will hold. We have to believe that. But it yeah. is being tested. Yeah. 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 Rabbi, I, I, I will not let David leave without pointing out that he is a person of faith. And one of mine, uh, you know, uh, Rabbi, you claim well, the Jews. Well, there's still potential for him. I, I haven't given I, up. Well, still I know you're working on there's converting him. There's hope for the future. There's, but you know, he has some questions roots, about procedure. Uh, but uh, uh, no, no, no. His <laughs> spiritual roots go deep, Rabbi. You'll be surprised. That's a whole nother show. But he is—he uh, has, he has a moral compass, a set of values that guide him, and it's rooted in his faith. And uh, David just quickly mentioned that. I was surprised, by the way, on NBC, where uh, uh, Jenna Bush surprised Savannah Guthrie with a 50th birthday, uh, and it was all around her faith. Andrea Batelli came in and sound, sing, but it was all around the depth of her faith. And I think the fact that we're more open about our faith identification without trying to convert everybody that we see, but being more open about the identification, I think it's important. And you are a person of faith. Yes, that, that, that is true, Rabbi. I, I, I grew up a person of faith, and it was always interesting when we talked about the era of journalism that I was taught and grew up in, the Cronkite era. This was something as a reporter you kind of uh, suppressed or didn't talk about much on the air because you didn't want to compromise your objectivity, you know. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So you just kind of all those things, your political inclinations, you know, but, you know, it is true that we've evolved in a way that the audience wants not just anchors telling them what's happened, but they want to know that the people delivering the uh, news to them are rooted in some aspects of their society. So they don't necessarily want right. you to be of one particular faith necessarily, but faith and schools uh, tie you the community that you're reporting on. So, yeah, it, uh, I, I, so I'm, I'm obviously informed by that experience, um, but I also keep an open mind. And the reality is uh, Rabbi puts me to work so much with events <laughs> that he really is trying to, you know, I mean, it's, I, yeah. I've spent a lot of time uh, with my Jewish brethren, and it is true. Let me, let me tell you a funny story. So David, every year, uh, generously moderates our sukkah event, you know, the tabernacle uh, mm -hmm. event where we bring people all different faiths together. And Cardinal Dolan uh, a few years ago got up and he said, you know, this is my first time of being in a sukkah. When I got up, I said, uh, your eminence, I don't know if I want to say this, but I will. I have some people of my own community who could say the same thing as well. Uh, yeah. they, 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 you know, they, they haven't been in a sukkah either. But, but you know, David, Reverend, when I became a rabbi, uh, there was another rabbi who said to me, I want you to remember one word in your professional life, nevertheless. You are going to face a number of challenges, but nevertheless, you remain committed to your principles. And I think all of us feel that way, that nevertheless has to dominate. We're not going to allow those who are destroyers to bring us down. We, uh, right. we, are, uh, we are builders, and we are going to try to enlist more builders and make this even a better place for all. David Ushery. Always good, and you know, uh, it's a, it's an honor to really know you, to watch you, to listen to you, um, because you you have elevated the status of journalism, uh, and uh, 
we respect you for that. I have well, to say yeah, amen I, to that. And you have a lot of people praying for you, David. Well, I, I, and that I need, and I count on all the time. And, and Pastor, I'd like to get out uh, to the CC uh, if, 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 if Rabbi allows it, you know, <laughs> when I <laughs> There's a quota. Like, There's three, services, off, three services a year. Uh, that's it. I'll, I'll see what I can do with <laughs> Rabbi I'll to get you out, out to our I church. I know a number of Absolutely. people who, uh, who worship out there. Last time I was out there, I, we sat down for an interview, but I'd love to just come uh, for a service one day, so I hope we'll do that soon. All right. That'd be wonderful. David Ushery, NBC4 right. New York. Thanks so much. Look forward to seeing yeah. you soon. Thank you, gentlemen. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more of The Rev and the Rabbi right here on 77 WABC. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi, Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCradio.com. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. You know, Reverend, as I listened to David Ushery today, and our, uh, I, I thought very insightful conversation. I kept thinking to myself that integrity needs to count for a lot. Uh, one of the reasons I think we're losing trust in various individuals and institutions is because we've seen uh, a diminishing sense of integrity, uh, that people don't fulfill uh, certain principles that they, sh- they should be fulfilling. And that loss of trust doesn't just happen by itself. It's not only social media. I think you hit it uh, before when you said, you know, they earned it. Um, I think people should look carefully within and say, to what extent am I contributing to the problem? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look, when you say integrity, integrity is the cornerstone of character. And at the core of integrity is honesty, purity. Um, and I think we've gotten away from that. That's why people are looking for trusted voices, voices that they can trust. They say, he's genuine, she's genuine, they're authentic. Uh, that's what they're looking for because there is a sense of safety that relieves them from all of the uh, high antennas they have to put up to, to discern all these other voices because they're not trusted. And that's, that's laborious, man. At the end of the day, you're yeah. wiped out yeah. taking in information, not knowing which information you can trust. You know, the, there was a prophet years ago who said if he could summarize all of the religion into one statement, he would say, a person must live according to his or her faith. There has to be consistency between belief and behavior, between the book and the movie. And uh, I think we're, we're seeing too many inconsistencies, and what bothers me is people are buying into this stuff. You know, you yeah. can spread any false story, and you already have, you know, uh, you know your, your sickle fans. So those who say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. I mean, I listen to some of this stuff, Jewish lasers, really? Or you have, you know, the other side, AOC has a legislative assistant that talks about Israel is stolen land and uh, apartheid country, and she doesn't say a word. Uh, Rabbi, say, it's entertainment. That's why uh, I brought it up, and David it's, it's, responded so beautifully. It's, it's, it's amusement yeah. for diversion. It, 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 you know, it, it requires performance or a performer. And I will tell you something. Uh, any culture that prizes entertainment above substance, that culture is easily distracted, and diversion becomes a necessity for them. And I think it, it, it renders them more susceptible to deception. And that's what we're seeing play yeah. out in our society, Rabbi. But what bothers me is, as a Jew, I always find with the extremes, the Jew is always seen as the culprit, whether it's on the far right or on the far left. 
that we become the target for some kind of, you know, irresponsible behavior. We are culpable for the, you know, the problems of the world on the far right and on the far left. Uh, there's a book, new book that came out, Jonathan Greenblatt, the CEO of the ADL, just wrote, Could It Happen Here? That's a scary title. And his conclusion is, yeah, it could. It could. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, the most egregious form of hatred in terms of a Holocaust, but there's a hatred. You see the rising anti-Semitism uh, yeah. in this yeah. country. Uh, there was a, a CEO in Utah who just resigned, and he said, the, I, I think I sent you the story, Pope Francis is a Jewish agent who's here to spread the vaccine. Right? <laughs> now, now, keep in mind, this is the CEO of a company, which means on his resume, there's an educational component. So you can be an educated idiot. You can be an educated anti-Semite, right? Uh, you know. Rabbi, that, that's why I keep saying fantasy and melodrama is more entertaining. And both, and I don't mean to beat up on the media, both media and entertainment spin political reality into melodrama at the expense of facts. And they're spinning everything else into melodrama at the expense of facts. So facts are no longer important. Yeah. It, it's, it's the message that I'm trying to get across, your reaction to it, and what you do with that reaction. That's the problem. Now, yeah, look, Book of the Prophet Isaiah, chapter, what, 59, says, truth is fallen in the streets, and justice is turned backward, therefore equity cannot enter. And when we have truth collapse to the ground and becomes trampled, what are we going to do as a society? We're open to any and everything, Rabbi. And then we react to these fantasies. Yeah, and you know, the prophet Isaiah elaborated on that, and woe to those who called day night you know uh, yeah right that's right and, you know, evil good and good evil, yeah, right? who just you know that's completely right. contradict uh, what they should be saying uh, in truth but yeah. we are these are very very i find these are very dangerous times and we cannot allow these hate mongers these people who spin these stories because um there is a as the shelf life right uh, these things go on and on for a while. Um, yeah, yeah. They don't just end, you know, with the tweet. They don't just end with the the email. Um, you know, and consider this: we are a novelty obsessed society with a short attention span. So we need something new. So we move from one thing to the other, without ever arriving at truth. The next thing that fancies us, what uh, in in our New Testament. Uh, called uh, the tickling of the ears, mm. that people will have itching ears, and there'll be those who come to tickle those ears well, with what they want to hear. I think the challenge for real political leadership, religious leadership, people in, in positions of leadership anywhere, is to rise above this wreckage and to really respond in a very frank, forthright way. There will always be those who will try to bring you down but you can't allow them to have the last say. And yeah, that's, yeah. you know, we signed up for this because we felt, you know, that we have the, the inner strength uh, to overcome uh, whatever people will try to throw at us. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, and look, I, I don't mean to beat up on media and entertainment, but the reality is that 
the process of socialization has changed so much. You and I know at one time, you know, the, the influence that informed and shaped who we are and gave us a framework, a basic framework for our beliefs was the family, mm. you know, uh, and the authority of the parents and, and, and our neighbors who were part of that. You know, so after that, you know, it was school. But before school or during school, at an early age, our children are exposed to media and entertainment. And it's informing and shaping the way they think. Television, movies, music. You know, it's not like it comes later on in life when they can make sense of it. No, it's coming in in kindergarten, man, and working right through their growth process. Yeah. Well, this has been a, you know, a real meaningful conversation. I guess uh, what, we, what we are saying is if you are a person of integrity, that's a full-time position. That's not part-time. Uh, <laughs> you need, right? You need to let uh, your energies be spent in a way that you're uh, writing some positive chapters. Don't let, don't let the crazies run the show. And yeah. right now we have a number of crazies out there on both sides no side has a monopoly uh, on, on integrity. Uh, both sides need to look within and say, what are we doing wrong and what are we doing right and how can we be better? All right. So I'm glad to hear you say that because it means that we're not, we're not crazy. You and I are not the crazies, right? Well, we're crazy, to do, we're crazy about what we do. How do we identify <laughs> the crazies? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, because we, uh, we, we, we have a foundation. We have a text. We have a, a tradition. And, That's what I want right, to hear. Right, yep. We have an mm-hmm. anchor. Uh, yeah. So we always look to, you know, we don't make the, the decision. It's made for us in the traditions we revere. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rev. And look forward to uh, being together next week. Another great program. Hope you've enjoyed it, our listening audience, and continue to tune in at our new time, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., right here on 77 WABC. The Rev. And the Rabbi. <laughs>